we have a saying around here that no matter how broken your world, the creator of this world has come to heal your brokenness. Our friend this morning, our guest, Rhonda Shortino, understands that. At an early age, as a child, she understood abandonment, abuse, and homelessness. And somewhere in all of that, she discovered that God also had a plan for her, which included healing and success. Through her life, she has learned what God wanted for her, and she is now a very successful businesswoman. And she has spent the the weekend here going to places like the Edmund L. Thomas home and and Gannondale and some other places where she's been able to speak into the lives of children who really may feel hopeless. She spent Friday evening with us as we gathered together to support Royal Family Kids Camp. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the service because she understands what a camp like that can do for someone who's experienced what she's experienced in life. She is a devout follower of Jesus, and so we've invited her this morning to come and share with you her story and to share with you the understanding that God wants us in this world to be a success. Would you please welcome Rhonda Shortino? Thank you. Good morning, Erie. Woohoo! I am so excited to be here. I want to talk to you about your assignments. Every single person here has a very specific assignment from God. Now, how do I know that? Because I thought for the first 27 years of my life that I was an accident of biology. I was born to parents who didn't want me My mother left me with a neighbor and asked the neighbor to babysit while she went shopping, but she didn't go shopping. Her clothes were packed, and her car was loaded, and she moved out of state, and she never came back. My father didn't seek to come retrieve me, and so I wound up left in the care of a mentally ill man and an alcoholic woman. I was disciplined with a skillet of hot oil when I was four years old. I would have cigarettes put out into my arms and legs, whatever happened to be the closest thing. I would be hit for any reason or no reason at all. So you can understand how I thought that I was just an accident. And the best that I could hope to do in life was to just keep my head down, not make eye contact with anybody, and hope to just slide on through life. But God. God got a hold of me. When I was about seven or eight years old, the social worker who would randomly come by I maybe remember seeing a social worker three times in all of my childhood. But this gal came by, and I think I had a black eye. And so she pulled me from that abusive environment, and she placed me into a home with some foster parents. And I don't remember these people's names. I don't know what town we were in. You know, when you're a little bitty kid, it just kind of blurs all, you know, the details blur together. But... I remember that those people took me to church. 
Now, that was a big deal because I was raised by atheists who told me that there was no God and anybody who believed in God was just an idiot. But those people introduced me to Jesus. And I'm so grateful. Well, I was removed from their home for that very reason. That mentally ill man was my grandfather. And he followed the foster parents. And I came out of church carrying my picture of Jesus that I had just colored. And I was singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I saw their car with my grandfather sitting in it. And I made eye contact. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. My grandfather filed a complaint with the Department of Social Services. And those people were reprimanded. And I was pulled from that wonderful home, the first place I'd ever felt safe. And I was put back into the abusive environment. And I'd really, over the years then, of living in that place where I could wake up in the middle of the night with a pillow over my head and have to fight to get it off, I thought, did that really happen? Have you ever had that experience where you think something happened when you were a little kid, but gosh, you, you know, it just kind of, it's, it's a blur now and you're not really sure. But you know how I knew it was real? I remembered the words to Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's one of the reasons that I flew 3,000 miles out here is because I love that Royal Family Kids Camps teaches kids songs because they're not done. They're going to go back into foster care. They're going to go back into the battle. But we remember songs. Those are seeds that get planted. So I emancipated when I was 16 years old because a wonderful man gave me a job in an insurance agency. I couldn't spell insurance. I didn't know anything about it, but I wanted to learn. And when that guy told me that what insurance was, and, you know, if, if, if the house burns down, this company's going to pay to rebuild it. Well, guess what? The, the little shack that we lived in had burned down. When I was eight years old, we became homeless because the house was destroyed and we had no fire insurance. So here this guy tells me about insurance, and I said, you mean we didn't have to be homeless? Yeah, that's right. They would have rebuilt the house. And I said, well, I wore the same little sundress and dime store flip-flop shoes to school every single day from the first day of school all the way into November. Dirty, filthy, because we were homeless. I said, you mean insurance would have paid for us to stay someplace while the house was being rebuilt? Yeah, that's right. And insurance would have paid for me to have new clothes so I wouldn't have have to have that humiliation of wearing that same little thing and be cold and all that. Yeah, that's right. I became like an evangelical street preacher about insurance. I was asking everybody, do you have insurance? Are you covered? Are you really, do you know you're covered properly? Because you need to be insured with me. I wasn't licensed. I was 15 years old. I am selling insurance, man. Well, I thought I have found my thing that I could do. 
So I got emancipated, and the insurance commissioner, finally, after many, 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 many times of me asking, can I please sit for my test? Would you please let me sit for my test? They finally gave me an exception, and they let me sit for my test, and I became the youngest licensed insurance broker in California. Woohoo! On my own. How many little kids say, oh, thank you. Can you imagine how many little kids say, ooh, I want to grow up and be an insurance agent? Well, I was delighted. So when I was about, I don't know, 20, 21 years old, I started volunteering at the Home for Abused Children in town. And I didn't want him to know I was in insurance because by then I figured out that, you know, I could clear a room by saying I was in insurance. (laughs) So I never told him, you know, much about what I did. And I never certainly told them that I had been abandoned by my parents or that I had been abused. I didn't tell anybody. My husband didn't know. My best friend didn't know. Because I thought if they knew that the people who brought me into the world didn't want me and the people who raised me barely tolerated me, they wouldn't like me either. So as I was volunteering at Hillview Acres Children's Home, for several years, the CEO one day asked me, aren't you in insurance? I said, yeah. And he said, well, our premiums went up from 12000 to 66000 We don't know if we're going to be able to keep the doors open. And so can you help? Well, I was able to help him. And it changed my life because it was a day that it, there was an intersection of something I really knew how to do for somebody who really needed it. And that was the day that I thought, well, maybe I'm not an accident. Maybe there's a purpose for my life. Well, now I'm on a mission to help everybody else find God's purpose for their life. I always heard, following accepting Christ, I told you when I was introduced to Jesus, I went and got myself baptized when I was 15. And I've been trying to learn about God and get close to God ever since. And so for many years I would hear, God is no respecter of persons. And I went, yeah, what does that mean? So I've been trying to figure out how the word of God applies in my life, all my life. I'll be doing that the day I die and go, actually, start getting all those questions answered. So I used to think that God is no respecter of persons means what God has done for someone else, he'll do for me. But that's not entirely accurate because I could pray all day and all night and fast and give everything I have and ask God for uh, the same plan that he gave to Bill Gates. It's not going to happen. 
I'm not going to develop some wonderful new, I can relatively safely say I'm not going to develop some new computer thing because I'm a lot more like Wilma Flintstone than I am like Judy Jetson. So that is not going to happen. I could pray and fast and give and ask God to give me the same plan that Tim Tebow has. Middle-aged white woman is probably not going to anytime soon be an NFL player, right? So I don't get to have Oprah Winfrey's plan. I don't get Bill Gates's plan. I don't get Tim Tebow's plan. But I have my plan. And I'm walking my plan just as well as I know how to do it. And God has a plan for you too. And I can prove it. When I found Ephesians 2.10... And I'm going to read it to you because I don't want to mess it up. This is in today's New International Version. For we are God's handiwork. There's a version that says we are God's masterpiece. I really like that. Because a masterpiece is precious. Right? We are each. You are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. When I was looking at that video that was shown earlier and the lady was talking about despair, I thought, oh man, I want to talk to her. I want to tell her. I know what it feels like to be depressed. I know what it feels like to slip from depression into despair. I know what it feels like to want to commit suicide. And when you don't think that there's a plan and purpose for your life, when you don't believe that, you know, this is a tough world. This is a hard, cold place to be if you don't grab a hold of God's plan and purpose for your life. And when we do it, when we find that thing that we were created to do, and we do it so well, it comes naturally to us. It's not effort for us. We don't have to drag ourselves out of bed because we're in the sweet spot of God's plan for our lives. What happens is we get what I call all five points of prosperity. And what that means is good relationships with good people, good health, because you're not stressed out all the time, right? Trying to do something that you really weren't wired to do. So you're, you know, less stressed, better health. Peace. When I say peace, I'm talking about the absence of strife and chaos. It doesn't mean it's not going on all around you, but it's not inside you. Joy. That joy unspeakable and full of glory, I would read about it and be like, I don't really know. I don't really know what that all means because I'd never felt it. It's kind of like trying to describe chocolate to somebody who's never tasted chocolate. It's so good. The joy of the Lord really does give you strength, but he only gives us strength to do what we were created to do. Right? I could work really, really hard trying to do something that I wasn't created to do, and I'm just not going to get very far. And then the last point the financial prosperity. 
He provides for us. He makes arrangements for us when we're seeking him and when we're seeking his plan for our lives. So how do you know the plan? There are clues. There are clues in God's word, and there are clues in your life. Probably the biggest one is your story. What have you been through? What have you experienced? What are the things that happened to you? What are the things that have been done to you? What was unfair? How have you been underestimated? What did you do? What did you accomplish? What did you accomplish that was a surprise to you? When I wrote my first book, it was like shocking to me. I don't know how to write a book. I've never been qualified to do any of the things that I've done. When I started my first company, when I gave my notice and I told my boss, I really have to go insure homes and services for abused children to the exclusion of everything else, he laughed at me. And he said, young lady, you don't know how to keep the books. He he was right. Um, You don't know how to go get appointments from insurance companies. You don't know how to do this, this, this. He had a long list of all the things I didn't know how to do. But, But he didn't know that me and the Holy Spirit are a complete team. So I didn't know how to do all those things. I've never really been qualified to do any of the things I've ever done. If anybody would have told me years ago that I was going to write a book and I was going to be on the Today Show and I was going to do all these other television things and that I would be a radio show host. Yeah, now I'm a radio show host of a a show called Crack the Code, Succeed Because of What You've Been Through. And that's the name of my book, Succeed Because of What You've Been Through. It's not just despite... Lots of people would say to me through the years, oh, bless your heart, you've succeeded despite all that's happened to you. And I used to sit there and say, oh, thank you. But inside I thought, no, whatever I've been able to do was because of what's happened to me. Because what happened to you in your life, the story that you've lived has created certain characteristics in you. Like, for example, in my case, being abandoned by my parents, I learned early, the hard way, nobody was going to come rescue me. In those days, in the 1960s, what happened in your house stayed in your house. If somebody was beating their kid, the neighbors just closed their windows. Nobody did anything about it. So I knew I wasn't going to get rescued. Well, when I started my company, I knew there was nobody that was going to show up and do the work for me. I didn't expect uh, a knight in shining armor to come right in on his steed and, you know, make my day. I didn't expect the insurance fairies to show up at night and do all the work on my desk. I knew I had to do it. The abuse that I experienced built up in me a finely tuned meter for injustice. I can sense like a mile away when someone's being mistreated. And I have a burning desire for justice. I have an empathy for children who have been abused. 
Whatever's happened to you in your life, you have characteristics that were born of that. That's a clue. The things that grieve your heart, you're probably called to do something about. You know, for me, it's child abuse. For you, it might be the elderly. It might be children who are born with birth defects. It might be the homeless. Whatever it is that grieves your heart, you were probably called to do something about it. Whatever you do well, the things that are natural to you, that's a clue. Your skills, your talents, your abilities, your personality, your resources, the people you know, the people that you're connected to, the organizations you're connected to, all of this comes together. And if you really take the time and you seek God and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and you quiet your soul, you'll hear from God and God will show you. But then once he shows you, guess what? He expects you to do something with it. When I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to spend what I thought then was the rest of my life protecting child welfare organizations, well, it was on me to do something about it, right? When I gave notice on that job, you know the one that had the paycheck and the health insurance? My friends thought I was a lunatic. I stepped out in faith. My friends thought I was being irresponsible. So I started my company on the floor of my condo because I sold all my furniture. I sold my refrigerator. I have always had the idea that I would rather have a piece of real estate with not a stick of furniture in it than have furniture and no real estate. So I bought my first house when I was 19 years old and been investing ever since then. And what I realized was that in God leading me to those investments, God was giving me an avenue to pay for what I really wanted to do, my ministry. Because insuring child welfare organizations really wasn't a money-making thing. There were many years when I didn't take a salary at all. But God provided for me. And I say that to, to tell you, God will provide for you. When you take that step in faith to do the thing that you become certain that he wants you to go do, He will provide the resources for you to be able to do it. So, I want to encourage you to evaluate your clues. Submit to him. You know, seek him. Seek the plan. Once you know, act on the plan. Because here's the thing. On judgment day... Talking about hell, Joel? I know. <laughs> On judgment day, I want God to say, good job, girl. I don't want him to say, 
oh, you know, Rhonda, well, that's all nice that you did that, but what we really wanted you to do was be a librarian right here. You know, I have this sense that on Judgment Day that we're going to get there and, you know, we're all going to, like, be seated waiting for, you know, our turn. And, you know, we're going to watch people walk up and, you know, stand and say, okay, God. It's like they think they're all, you know, and they're ready for their crown. And and I think we're going to kind of see God go, yes, I think it was fabulous that you were a heart surgeon. But what I really wanted you to do was be a CPA. I needed you to be over here. And you were supposed to do this. And so, you know, I mean, God works all things together for good. Don't get me wrong. But gosh, wouldn't it be so cool if we all just did what we were supposed to do? If we, I mean, when we, when I look around at all the problems and all the pain, like I don't know what it would be like to be a pastor and have people come to you all the time with all their painful stuff because every painful thing to me represents somebody somewhere who didn't do what they were supposed to do in the body of Christ and Gosh, if we would just all seek God and find him and then do what we're supposed to do. Like I said, we'd have better relationships. We'd have better health. We'd have more peace, more joy, more financial prosperity. We'd have all those things. And then the body of Christ would would be held up for the world to see and we would have different numbers than the world. And what I mean by that is, you know, our, our, our divorce numbers would look different and our, and our, uh, you know, our, we would be all the business owners and we would be all the school board members and we would be all the politicians. We would be in charge and we would be making the laws. And how cool would that be? Every one of us can change our world by doing what we were perfectly created to do. Each of us was matched, perfectly matched for our assignment. So I want you to find it. I want you to fulfill it. And you know, I think that um, we have to not say we're going to and then not do it. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look at us like like the parent, for example, who is has a house full of people and is ready to make lunch and goes into the kitchen and finds, oh, I'm out of bread. I need a loaf of bread. And gives money to the 12-year-old to go down to the corner store and buy a loaf of bread. I think here in Erie, you probably can still send your kid to the corner store. We can't do that in California anymore. So imagine you give the money to the kid and 15, 20 minutes later, a kid's not back. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's ready for their sandwiches. No bread. And now it's, you know, a half hour and now it's 45 minutes. And finally you go out the front and you say, oh, for crying out loud, the kid's playing in the neighbor's yard. So, you know, you go over to the neighbor's yard and, excuse me. You know, we're all over here waiting for the bread. But mom, I just bought this puppy. 
look at this puppy. Isn't it the cutest puppy you've ever seen? It's a great puppy. It's going to be a good watchdog. We're going to love the puppy. But sweetheart, I gave you money for bread. We're all hungry. But mom, I used the money to buy the puppy. Isn't this great? I wonder if God is in heaven going, I sent you to do this thing. Right? So, a lot of people don't do what they were called to do and don't fulfill their purpose because they have a ton of obligations. As you're seeking and asking God, also ask him about all those obligations. Did he ask you to do all that? I found myself on, you know, 411 boards and, you know, I had all this obligation. And I'm saying, God, there's just not enough time. I just don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to? And, and it's almost like I, I don't hear an audible voice, but I can just almost feel like God saying, who asked you to be on all those boards? I thought I was doing a good thing. Sometimes you have to evaluate your schedule and say, all right, love you, love what you're doing, but I have to not do that anymore because that's not part of God's plan for me. So we reevaluate, we get the stuff off of our plate that we really weren't supposed to do. Carve out time. Start a plan, create a plan for what God really wants you to do. Timeline. Tell someone that you're close to so that you'll have accountability for moving forward with it, for actually fulfilling it. And then as soon as you take that first step, the beautiful thing is God will show up. When you do what you can do, God will show up and do what you can't do. And I know that for a fact. This is where the God is no respecter of persons thing fits. Is that I can't have anybody else's plan, but God will help me fulfill my plan just the same as he'll show up and help you fulfill your plan. One quick story about the practical application of this is that here I am, I'm 27 years old, you know, I'm wet behind the ears. I just, you know, didn't know anything about running a business and I want to insure homes for abused children. And most of the child welfare organizations in the state of California at that time, most if not all were run by men and they were run by what I called OWM, old white men. And so none of the OWMs wanted to entrust the protection of their, let's say, you know, $20 million annual budget organizations to a child, 27 years old, right? So I really, just like my former boss had said, I really didn't have a chance. But God... I felt like I was supposed to make a phone call to the California Association of Children's Homes, and I fully expected them to just go ahead and be nice and but really kind of hang up in my ear. So I called, and I introduced myself, and I said, I want to help you help your members. Oh, that's another clue. Your assignment will always involve helping somebody. 
So the lady said, oh, okay, well, I'd like to meet with you. I almost passed out. So, but I didn't let her know that. I acted like it just happened to me all the time that the executive director of an association wanted to meet with me. So I charged on a credit card my plane ticket because I didn't have the money for it. And I flew up and I met with her. And it turns out she, she instantly gave me the endorsement of the California Association of Children's Homes. Turns out the day I called, it was her very first day on the job. <laughs> the other insurance brokers who had been working with children's homes in California, who, by the way, were also OWMs, they just about had a collective heart attack that they didn't get the endorsement of the association. And, you know, filed all kinds of complaints and got the board all riled up and everything else. But the long story short, I held that endorsement for as long as I owned that business. And the reason was is because I followed through and I did everything I said I would do. You know, all those things that I said that I would do that I didn't know how to do? But I was able to do them because of the Holy Spirit. So I put together a workers' compensation group for them. It saved them millions of dollars a year. We created a new classification code for rating that saved them a lot of money. It was a beautiful thing. And, and our rating processes that we developed are still being used, only now they're being used by every single insurance company in the United States that protects child welfare organizations. So while that's not a big, you know, headline-making thing, I know me and Jesus did something good. So when you find your assignment, if you don't already know. And I, gosh, you may already know. You know, some people at four years old can sit down in front of a piano and start banging on keys and the music is beautiful. And some of us know, you know, from our earliest time. But for the rest of us, once you find it and you start fulfilling it, I am not kidding you. You will live a life that you may have thought you never would live. I can't believe my life now. I told you about the beginning, so I'll tell you now. If I really, if I told you the truth about my life today, you would think I was lying, bragging, or delusional, but it's the truth. I live in a house overlooking the ocean. I live among celebrities and business people, billionaire people. I can't believe it. I felt like I was like the Beverly Hillbillies moving into this neighborhood. I thought, oh, I don't belong here. The next door neighbor lady uh, who is their live-in person, because all these people have like live-in people, came up to me and she thought I was one of the workers. She said, what are those people like who just moved in? And I said, they're okay. Because, you know, I had sweats on and a ponytail and everything else. I didn't look like all those hoity-toity Newport Beach ladies. But, you know, to be able to, like, drive the car I want to drive and, and you know, live in this amazing house and have Kobe Bryant for one of my neighbors and, you know, to, to be able to go where I get to go and, and be on TV and radio and do all that stuff, it, it could only be God. So when you find your 
purpose and you start living it, I want you to contact me. I really do. I want you to find me on Facebook. Yes, old white woman on Facebook. My husband says, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? But you know, I I talk to foster kids all over the United States and kids are on Facebook. So if I'm going to talk to the kids, I have to be there. So find me on the internet and write to me. I want to hear about your successes because with you and God, your plan is possible. Thank you for having me.